Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. When we come to our passage of Scripture this morning, not only is this passage of Scripture one that is uh, greatly convicting as we read its words, but it is one that we are familiar with. It is one that we've heard. It's one that we've heard quoted. And so therefore, and I mentioned the, fam- the familiar nature of many texts that we, uh, pass- uh, that, we, that we preach from and passages that we preach from uh, for the reason that when we become familiar with something, we often times don't let it speak to us anymore. We've all heard John 3.16. We've heard it preached numbers of times and how many times have we missed a message not from a preacher but a message from God out of that well-known text just because it's familiar to us. I don't want us this morning to miss out on what God has for us in this passage from His Word just because we are familiar with it. If this Bible is God's Bible and it is, that means that every time we open it, every time we read it, if this is God's Word His Word still has the power to touch and to speak as only God can because this is God's Word. Amen. And so let's give it that kind of attention this morning. Mark chapter number 8 is a passage of Scripture (coughs) that when we come to this period of time in the ministry of the Lord Jesus, we realize that the Lord Jesus has just finished a very private conversation with His disciples between verse number 27 and verse number 33. Verse 27 says that Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Who do men say that I am? And so Jesus here is with his disciples in Caesarea Philippi. He is talking to them. He is speaking only to them. And in his discourse with them, he asked them the very important question, Who do men say? say that I am. And then in verse 29 he follows their reply up with this probably even more important question. Not just who do men say that I am, but he asked them pointedly, who do uh, excuse me, but whom say ye that I am. Not just what do men say, who do men say that I am, but who am I to you. This is the context that we find our verses in this morning. Jesus having a very private conversation just a few verses before our text with his disciples. But when we come to our text after he has asked them this famous question in verse number 27 and then in verse uh, in verse number 29 as well, these famous questions we see uh, that he moves amen uh, from giving them the private treasures of a personal conversation with his disciples and then he begins to draw our focus not for to personal treasures with his disciples, but rather a public truth that is for all men. The Bible says here in verse number 34 that it was not just his disciples that were gathered to hear these words, but the Bible does mention that they were there. But in verse 34, the Bible says, and when he had called the people unto him with his disciples. That first conversation between verse 27 and 33 was to his disciples alone. Now we find him 
gathering crowds of other people unto himself to give them not just private treasures between the Lord uh, God the Lord Jesus Christ and those trusted men that he had personally called and he was personally training and personally investing in but now he is giving those that are a part of the masses amen, a public truth that all men and women boys and girls uh, must amen come into contact with in their life he begins to teach them uh, this very important uh, lesson that we will look at in the scripture this morning he tells us here in verse number uh, 35 is where I want us to hang our hat this morning but he uh, begins with his discourse with them talking in verse 34 saying whosoever will come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me but then in verse 35 we find a verse that I believe that is the verse that the, this entire passage of scripture hangs upon and that is verse number 35 where Jesus says for whosoever will save his life shall lose it but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels the same shall amen the Bible says the same shall save it I tell you this morning I believe that verse 35 is the verse that all of what Jesus says between verse 34 and verse 38 will center around in verse 34 we find its connection to verse 35 in the fact that verse 34 is the entrance of these truths upon their hearers that day he tells us why we need to hear that emphatic word the emphatic words of verse 35 whosoever will save his life shall lose it but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels the same shall save it we find the entrance of these this truth in verse 34 but then in verse 36 through 38 we find the explanation of this truth how is it that we are to save our lives what does that mean what are the implications of this truth upon those that are listening that day and so we see verse 34 and verse 36 through 38 all come into contact with verse number 35 and the truths work together so seamlessly to teach us the truth that we will look at this morning. In verse number 35 we find these words whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels the same shall save it. Those words are words that uh, too many people when they uh, read these verses this is normally the verse that gets left out of our memory verses. This is normally the verse that gets left out of much of our preaching in this passage but I believe it is the point upon which all of the other verses that we love and quote and preach on hangs upon. And this morning with that thought in mind, I want to preach on the thought, how to save your life. How to save your life. Here in verse number 34 he says, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. In other words, Jesus is telling them how they can save their life. Amen. And I'm telling you, we're living in a day where there's many lives being lived that are desperately in need of saving. There's a lost world and their life is in need of saving. There are saints of God, even in the church houses of this great country and around the world, that their life is in dire need of saving. So Christ wants us to know how we can save our lives. And that is what I want us to look at for a few moments this morning. <coughs> 
Before we begin the exposition of the text, let me begin this morning by saying this. I think about, as I announced the title of the message this morning about how to save your life, I'm reminded that we live in a society that has a great number of medical professionals, uh, amen, and law enforcement professionals that time and time again have taken it upon themselves to save the lives of those that they serve. Could you imagine where we would be, especially with this last year and this year being uh, what they are if it was not for the medical professionals? Amen. If it wasn't for doctors and nurses, if it wasn't for paramedics and ambulance drivers, amen. If it wasn't for all of the first responders, where would we be? Where would we be in this day and hour that we're living in where so much unrest in the streets of America and so many violent protests and buildings being burned down and so much chaos on every hand if it was not for uh, the law enforcement uh, officers in the day that we're living in. Amen. How would you and I feel safe in our homes? How would you and I feel safe walking down the street if we knew that there was no uh, protection to be had in a physical sense for us? That all that we would encounter would be chaos and absolute debauchery and that was the best that we could hope for. That there would be no justice. That there would be no court cases to be had. There would be no judgment passed down for wrongdoing. If it was all a free for all in our nation, how would we ever feel safe again? I'm telling you I'm glad this morning, amen, that there are people, amen, that have made it their life's mission, amen, to save the lives of others, to preserve the lives of others, to preserve the health and well-being of others, amen. I'm thankful for those, amen, that God has allowed, amen, according to the Bible, to be ministers of God for righteousness. Amen. I'm thankful for our soldiers. Amen. That for at least uh, the longest time in this country have by their very presence, not only in this country, but in the nations of the world, have let all of those who would want to do America harm and harm many of Americans by, uh, by uh, tragic events of terrorism has been the military has been there as something to look to. Amen. To say if you may with the United States of America we will mess back amen and it will be worse than you could ever imagine at least until recently amen and I'm telling you I'm thankful for those that give us safety and security and salvation in a physical sense in life but can I remind you this morning that according to Jesus's words here in this passage of scripture it is not up for the police officer to save the life that Jesus is talking about. It is not up for the medical professional to save the life that Jesus is talking about. It is not up for the military men and women of the United States military to save the life, to save our lives in the sense that Jesus is talking about here in our text. But notice what the word of God says. The Bible says in verse number 35, Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life, the same shall save it. These words put the saving of our lives in, uh, the, puts the ball in our court, puts the responsibility in our hands. Amen. And I'll say this, I do realize that these words that Jesus is giving us here cannot be talking about saving our life in a physical sense. You say, preacher, how do you know that? Well, look at the paradox of what's mentioned in verse 35. 
for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. You would think about that medical professional. You'd think about that EMT. If there was an EMT or some kind of medical professional, amen, that had training or maybe some common person with a severe allergy, but they carried an EpiPen with them, once they start going into an anaphylaxis, once they start going into some kind of allergic reaction, if they've got that EpiPen, they can stick it in their thigh or put it somewhere in their body. Amen. I, I'm not a doctor. I don't know, amen, where it's supposed to go to have the best results. But amen, you put it in somehow and you can see save your own life doing that. But that's not, you don't, that's not what Jesus says here. How to save your life? Well, you do this to yourself and this will save your life. That's not what Jesus says. He says, whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. Now that is a complete paradox. That is, when I, when, I, when I say the word paradox, what I mean is it is a contradictory statement that sounds like the two cannot exist together, but yet they do. Jesus says, if you're going to save your life, you have to lose it first. Now, I don't know of any medical professional that'll stand there, somebody going into uh, cardiac arrest, somebody, somebody, their, 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 uh, their, their heart monitor is getting very close to flatline, and they'll say, well, there's still a few bumps on there. I'll, I'll wait until it flattens out a little bit more, and then I'll save them. Jesus said, if you're going to save your life, you've got to lose it. Not get close and then shock them back into rhythm. Not start to have arrhythmia issues and then clear. I don't even think they use paddles. I think they just have little stickers they put on you now. But that's not the way somebody would agree to save a life. Let's wait until it's absolutely hopeless and then let's try to get some help. No, you're, going to, you're trying to sustain the life that still exists within them. You're trying to pull more out. You're trying to revive what little bit is left. You don't just wait around until it's a hopeless case and say, okay, I'm going to do something now. But Jesus said, you've got to absolutely lose your life. And whatever he's talking about here in this text, it's your life has got to be gone before it'll ever be saved. That's not the way it works in the physical sense, but it is the way it works in the spiritual sense here in this text. Notice the Bible here says that whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. Amen. We see this paradox that's mentioned here. We know that it, that is not possible with physical life. The best course of action is not to lose life entirely to save it, but you're trying to sustain what life is there. Since it is not possible for the physical life, then that means that the Lord must be speaking of another kind of life. Jesus here is speaking when he, he must be using a different meaning when he uses the word life. He is not talking about mere respiration. He is not talking about all of our vital organs being functional. He must be talking about another form of life. Do you know you can have more life than just a physical life to sit here today and breathe God's air? have blood pumping through your body. There's more to life than that. I know one man said, and this might be a carnal quote, amen, I didn't search it down to figure out where it was from, but one man said life, I think it might be a jewelry commercial as a matter of fact, but life is not measured by the breaths that we take, but by the moments that take our breath away. I think that was a jewelry commercial. Talking about seeing that diamond, it takes your breath away. I want more of these moments, Amen. But here, here's what I took that to mean, that there is more to life than just simply existing. 
if, if your life, your wife rather, is someone that likes those diamonds from the jewelry store that takes her breath away, if you can, give her one of those every once in a while. Amen. I've had to live that recently. Give her one every once in a while. Because, listen, let me tell you why. Preacher, so you won't be in the doghouse if you do something wrong. No. But there is more to life than simply existing. That smile on her face when I give her something shiny, it means a lot to me. That's worth it in life. If I can give my kids a toy or I can spend time with them, I can wrap my arms around them and see that beautiful smile and that twinkle in their eye that daddy's home and daddy's spending time with me. And that is worth everything in the world. There's more to life than simply existing. So many times in our life, all we, all we do and concern ourselves with is just getting through another day and getting through another moment and existing in life. There's more to life than simply existing. Jesus here says that there is a life that is more than mere respiration and being vitally alive and having breath in our bodies and having blood pumping through our veins. Amen. There's more to life than that. Here Jesus said that it is a life that needs to be saved. It is a life that needs to be preserved. And he wants to tell us how to do it. This morning I want us to consider this life realizing that to cease one's vitality would only accomplish our demise and not ensure our destiny. Realizing that here that Christ must be dealing with life in terms other than what we would choose to uh, deal with it in. And what Jesus must be telling us that there is another kind of life that men live that must be saved and the way to save it is to lose it. I would submit to you this morning what Jesus is saying is that what he is, when he is talking about life he is speaking about our lives in terms of what we choose to do with our life. I would submit to you that Jesus is saying that if you believe that having your own way and living life on your own terms and being the, the, your own Lord is more important than living for Christ and surrendering to His Lordship. Amen. I believe that Jesus is telling us if you believe that's what life is, you'll lose what you have. If all you th my life is mine. It's going to be all mine. I want to live it the way I want to live it. I don't want to let anybody else be in control. Jesus said, the life you think you have, you will lose it. When Jesus said in verse 35, for whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. He is saying that there will be many that will try to save their life. They will try to save their life in many ways. They'll try to preserve their life unto themselves. The Bible says if we try to save our life, we try to keep our lives, we try to be in control of life. And notice the text here says, save his life. There's much to be said in the way the Bible is worded. Here is not claiming his life as the life from God. Every single one of us that are saved, our life should belong to God. All of us that were creations of God uh, that uh, have been made by God, which is all of humankind, our life has come from God. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Amen. The Bible said in Genesis 1.26 that he created man. Our life came from God. 
God. The Bible says that it was God that breathed in the man's nostrils the breath of life. It was him that gave us our very breath. It was him that gave us the ability to live. But yet this verse says there will be some that will take life that only God can give and a space of time that only God gives and they will claim it as, <laughs> as only belonging to them. It's my life. Have you ever heard anybody say, well, it's my life. I live it however I want to. Yes, Jesus said, if that's your mentality, you'll lose it. Your life will not be yours. You will not have the life you think you'll have. Your life will end up being absolutely nothing. Whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. There will be many that will try to save their life. They will claim that their life only belongs to them. They want their life to consist of what they want, what their flesh desires, what they, what they want in their flesh, what they, what they uh, want, to, how they want to live, and what they want incorporated into the days of their life. They are not interested in relinquishing control of their life to anyone. This is my life. I'm the Lord of my own life. I'm the Lord of my own destiny. I'll live it however I want to live it. I'll die however I want to die. My life will be consistent only by the things that I am interested in and what I will put into my life. They don't want to relinquish control. But here's what they don't realize. And I know this seems funny to say, especially for so many, have so many Christians in the building this morning. But it is amazing that we ever get to a place where we think our life is our own at all. I think about my life. If God were to choose for me to drop dead where I stand, there would be nothing that I could do about it. But yet all the time we'll say, this is my life, and I live it however I want to. I'm not in control of another breath. I'm not in control of another moment. If God wanted me to be through, that's His business. If He wanted me to leave this world today, that's His business. There's nothing that I could do to change what God does with His control over my life. The only thing I can choose is to be in rebellion to what He wants for my life. And that's what men, mankind means when we say, this is my life and I'll do with it what I want to. If they'd get real honest, they'd have to say, no, this is God's life that He has given me and I just do not care to honor Him with it. I'm going to rob from God. I'm going to take the life that He has given me and I'm going to use it all on my own and do what I want. But God promises you will lose that life if that is your mentality this morning. And mankind with this kind of attitude will try to protect the enjoyment of life's sinful pleasures at all costs. They will try to protect their partying at all costs. They will try to savor the moments of sojourning in sin as long as they can. These people view a life surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ and walking in His will and pleasing Him and obeying His Word as a life that is wasted, as a life that is not in their control. It's a life that is lost, they think. But can I just simply remind you, I'll put the message on hold just a moment and say the greatest day in my life was the day that I lost my life. 
I gave it to Jesus. It has been the best life that I have ever been able to live. I did not lose out when I gave Jesus my life. He put in my life things that I never would have been able to put in my own life. He gave me joy that I never would have had outside of Him. He gave me happiness that I'd never have outside of Him. He gave me great moments of faith and confidence and encouragement, amen, in dark days that I never would have had if it wasn't for Jesus. Living the life lived for Jesus Christ is not a lost life. It's not a wasted life. It is a life where you get gains that you'll never get anywhere else. And that's why Jesus said, if you'll lose your life, you'll save it. If you'll choose to lay down you, and you will choose to let Christ be in control and let Him truly be Lord and let Him be the one that has possession of your life, you'll save your life. You'll save it. Here the Bible teaches us how to save our life. People are not interested in yielding control to someone else. They are not willing to own up to their own sinful actions. That's why they don't want to give Jesus their life. They realize that if they give Jesus their life, they will no longer be able to make excuses for their sin. Let me tell you what we do. If, it's a, if, it's, if we are the ones in control of our life, you know what you'll do? Same thing I'll do at times. We'll make excuses for our sin. Well, I know this was wrong, but I had a really bad week this week, so it, it, it'll be okay. I, I, know, I know I shouldn't have done this or looked at that or drank this or smoked this or been with these people, but I, I think after the week I've had, I've earned that little bit of liberty in Christ. Can I remind you that our liberty in Christ is not liberty to go outside of the Word of God, but our liberty in Christ is to do everything that He tells us we can do in the Word of God. That's our liberty in Christ. Amen. He hasn't given you a free reign to just live loosely and live sinfully. He's given you the ability and the, and the liberty to live like He says to live in the Bible. That's the liberty we have. Can I remind you this morning that if it comes to, it comes to that kind of mentality in your life, it doesn't matter how much you think you've earned your loose living, Jesus will never agree with you. He'll never agree with your opinion. Just like I taught the young people this morning about the promises of God, I told them that the promises of God are settled. The promises of God are sure. The promises of God are steadfast. They're, 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 they're not going to change. There's no one that can make them change, and they will stay the same forever. What God said, He said. What He said, He meant. He meant what He said when He said what He did, and He's not planning on changing His Word. It was not written in pencil, friend. He's not going to take an eraser to it. It's forever settled in heaven. I would say this, there's not even an eraser in heaven. What's there to erase? The books they have there, not interested in erasing. I'll tell you this morning, when God said what He said, He meant what He said. And when God said, this is where I stand on this issue or that, you will never get God to come over on your side. You'll never do it. 
You can plead. You can say, well, I've had this go on, and I've had this person hurt me, and I've had this issue. Don't worry, Fred. You can, you can give your excuses to God until you're blue in the face, and God won't even be moved by your excuses. What He has said, He has said, and it'll stay that way. When we, when we as human beings uh, come to a place to where we are willing to accept our own excuses, we're in a very bad place. But I'll tell you this, we'll do it every time. If there's anybody that will cover up for my sin, it'll be me every time. If there's anybody that will make an excuse for my sin, it will be me every time. If there's ever anybody that's going to under, under, uh, undermine the, 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 the uh, sinfulness and the wickedness of the actions that I'm engaged in, it'll be me. Everybody else will look at me and say, well, Josh is really in a bad way. But I'll look at my own self and say, you know what? I'm not that bad off. Is that not the way we are? If it was up to us, we'll make our own excuses, and we will cover for our own rotten hide every time. That's why man likes to say, this is my life, and I'll live it how I want. That's why man likes to say, I'm in control. That's why people avoid giving their heart to Jesus. That's why Christians even avoid selling out to God and surrendering to His Lordship in their life and His mastery in their life. Why? Because they do not like for anyone to be in control other than themselves. Amen. If you don't believe me, you want to talk about our sinful natures and our desire for being in control, ladies, look at your husbands when it comes to either the steering wheel or the remote control. We like to be in control, don't we? Amen. Amen. That's the truth. Amen. Every man in the world likes to sit in a recliner with a remote in their hand and be the, be the Lord of that remote. <laughs> That's my remote. So my chair, my house, my remote. Amen. Now, I'll cut it on what you want to cut it on, but I'm going to hold the remote. <laughs> Is that not the way we are? We like to be in control of things. That's why, I, that's why I say that. We love to be in control. Ladies, you like to be in control, too. Let another lady come in your kitchen. Start moving stuff around. My kitchen. My domain. My control. But can I say this? It's okay with the clicker at home. It is okay with the steering wheel of your car. Ladies, it's okay for you to be possessive of your kitchen. You don't want nobody messing around in the pots and pans and you can go to find something you can't find it. That's okay. That won't hurt anybody. As long as you don't take it to the wrong extreme and then start sinning because of your desire for control. But when it comes to you telling God, I'm in control of my life and I live it how I want to, and by the way, that's not just for wicked sinners out there that do that. They do. There's people that sit on our church seats, on church pews, in houses of worship all over this country and around the world. And they would net, they say, if you ask them, are you saved? The, yes, I'm saved. Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. I, I want to serve God. But in their heart, He's not the Lord of anything. They're sitting on the throne of their own heart. They're the Lord of their own life. And they say, I'm going to be the one. It's my life. I'm going to be in control. I've been preaching about 35 minutes already. But I, let, me, let me just, I've introduced the thought this morning. I've got specific points. Maybe I'll give you this evening. But let me say this. 
when we come to this place, people don't like for Jesus to be Lord because that means that he'll be that he is the one in control. They and if he's in control, they must own up to their sin. They cannot make excuses for themselves. If Jesus is in control, He knows. And He is the one that they must own up to for their sin. And you cannot justify yourself before Him. This is why we try to guard our life. We don't want to give up our sin. We don't want to give up our pleasures. We don't want to give up our control. And that is what Jesus is looking at this crowd and saying Notice, look with me again at verse 34 and we'll be done for this morning. We've introduced the thought this morning. I don't want to go too much further. I, I, this message burdens my heart enough to where I don't want to go forward and lose anybody's attention. I'd rather just pick it up tonight. Look at verse 34. And when he had called the people, there's no parameters on who those people are. You know what that lets me know? That every category of person that you can put into the equation at all needs what we're looking at today. Falls into the realm of person that I've taught. Obviously, he's not just talking to his disciples, but he is talking to his disciples. In that crowd of people, whether there was lost people, the message was for them. They were, going, they were trying to save their life, and Jesus said, you need to lose it in order to save it. In order for you to get what you want, you've got to lose what you want. Here in this, in this group of people, there would have been believers. There would have been what we would call saved people in that group of people. And guess what? Jesus said, this message is for you. You're trying to save your life. You've got to learn to lose it in order to save it. But then he says, with his disciples, not only were there people that were lost, not only were there people that were saved, if I can put it that way, but there would have been servants of God here. People that are not just saved, but they're actively involved in ministry. And even to those, Jesus gives a word reminding them, if you want to save your life, you have to lose it. Let me ask you this morning, what is it in your life that is keeping you from losing your life? What is it that's so important enough for you that you at this moment are refusing to let it go and to lose it for Christ's sake? For some people, it's their job. For some people, it's that it, it's whatever dream or vision they have of what they want their children to be. For some people, it is just as I said before, pet sins in their life. It's that sin that does so easily beset them, and it keeps getting them off course for the path, the 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 the, the pathway that Christ wants them to run, the race of faith. It keeps besetting them and getting them off course because they can't get victory over that pet sin. They can't get victory over that. Or maybe, maybe for some it might be uh, some uh, disturbing areas of your mind and you just cannot get victory. Let it go. So just stop saying, I've got, in order for me to get saved, I've got to fix this, this, and this. Or I've, I've got to enjoy just a little bit more of this. Or I don't want to get saved because I'd have to let this go or that go. I, I want to sell out for God. I want to serve God in, in great ways. But I just can't until I get this taken care of. Or I just can't because I might lose this. Or I might lose this certain particular area of my life or comfort or security or pleasure. It's not just for sinners. We do it too as saints of God. What is it that we will not lose? 
that we might save the life that God gave us. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com.